Hey, everybody, it's Bax. Hey, listen, I want to thank the folks at Canna Provisions. Canna Provisions is sponsoring today's Baxi's Musical Podcast. They are an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in western Massachusetts. With locations that are both in Holyoke and in Lee, they offer a warm, unique shopping experience with guides rather than bud tenders. In fact, they're not just a dispensary. They're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. That's Provisions.com. Adults 21, please, and please consume responsibly. And now, today's episode of Baxi's Musical Podcast. What is it? What is it? It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. Despite popular opinion, some of the greatest music in the world doesn't come from here in the United States, nor does it come from the UK. Occasionally, it comes from the other side of the world, and no, I'm not just talking about Australia, although there's loads of great stuff that came from there, too. I'm talking about the island nation that's 2,300 miles east of Australia. I'm talking about the country of New Zealand. Between 1972 and 1984, the band Split Ends released 10 albums. The first few were a strange but interesting combination of wild visuals and the artistic vision of its co-founders, Tim Finn, Phil Judd, and Michael Chun. The second phase of their career came after Chun and Judd left the band and were replaced by Tim's 19-year-old brother, Neil. Together, Tim and Neil Finn would crank out some of the biggest hits of their career, including their 1980 international hit from their album, True Colors, I Got You. From there, Split Ends released a number of tremendous albums that included some of the best pop songs of the early 80s. Songs like Hard Act to Follow, Message to My Girl, Six Months in a Leaky Boat, History Never Repeats, off albums like Time and Tide, Wyatta, Conflicting Emotions. And while Neil would go on to further success with Crowded House, Tim Finn has enjoyed a successful career on his own and at one point joined his brother as a member of Crowded House as well. Today, Tim Finn and former split-end keyboard player Eddie Rayner have released a new album called Shades and Echoes under the name The Forensics. The album includes split-ends drummer Noel Crombie, but also some unbelievable guitar work from Phil Manzanera from Roxy Music, who produced the band's second album, Second Thoughts, in 1976. This is my conversation with former split-end singer-songwriter Tim Finn from The Forensics on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Well, I, I have to tell you, I've been, I'm listening to the the new album for the last couple of weeks, and and I'm and I'm not just saying this because I have you on a Zoom call. I legitimately, really, really like this album a lot. Um, in fact, I've had chances are in my head for, for for <laughs> weeks. I don't know if I should be thanking you or charging you, but it's it, it's such a great great song and and a, and a perfectly good first single off that record. Thank you. Yeah, we, we kind of knew that was the one. Uh, it's just, you know, it's the beginning of, of people becoming aware of this project, which is, you know, it had its, had its beginnings in, um, in looking back at old ends material and uh, finding those jewels that we can start new songs with. Um, so, yeah, just looking for clues, like the album's called for, uh, with a, the act is called Forensics, because we were literally, you know, kind of looking through this, uh, the, uh, the, the past, if you like, you know. I was, I was reading up on, on, uh, you know, how this kind of all came together and it's, it's interesting to me that you know you're you're taking bits and pieces or inspiration from from your previous split ends material, you know, mental notes and 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 second thoughts. It's not like you're rehashing anything. It's 
it's like you're being inspired by your own work. And I think that's, that's, yeah. that's really, really cool to, to be able to do that. T- tell me about the, the process of, of going back, listening to these, these older, these older uh, records and then trying to set them in a, in a more modern tone. Yeah, well, it, it started with um, the song with called Walking. Uh, and it was, you know, basically um, 47 years ago, we were in a studio in London. Uh, Phil Manzanera was producing an album for Split Ends, which we ended up calling Second Thoughts. Uh, we'd already recorded an album in Australia called Mental Notes, and we felt we sort of hadn't really done justice to some of the material. So we were really excited to be in London, a really good studio, Basing Street Studios. Bob Marley was recording Exodus down in the basement. Um, it was a pretty amazing time. And in walked Brian Eno one day. And at that point, he was, you know, an ex, he was, he was um, an ex-band member from Roxy Music and ha- had yet to become the Brian Eno that, you know, he, he became over the next few decades. But um, at the same time, he was an interesting character. And he, he commented on one section of this song. He really liked it. And... Uh, yeah, there was a subtle impl- implication that we should develop that section. And he was moving into minimalism, I guess, and we were moving, we were just basically maximalists through and through. So <laughs> to us, it was, it was great to have like 17 different sections and call it a song, you know, um, the different attitude. And, but it stayed in the back of my mind. And I guess because he became such a figure, so important in music, um, that kind of reinforced this little memory kind of really back, you know, I wouldn't, wasn't thinking about it that much, but it, it at the same time it never went away so I, I said to Eddie you know what like let's do this let's let, let's look at that section and, and write a new song with it and so Eddie kind of looped it and and sculpted a, a, a sort of an arrangement for it and then I took the original lyrics and cut cut and pasted them in all different areas and you know we just it felt so fresh to us and so exciting we just kind of went from there and that was actually the only song where um, I reused old lyrics everything else was like new lyrics um, but definitely new melodies, as that one was too, over just little fragments of, of Spadens, these little jewels. Um, and then we branched out and did a whole lot of other stuff as well that was based on jams that Eddie had collected and edited over the years. And so with his band, uh, Double Life. So, yeah, I mean, it became a, it became a writing exercise, almost like, a, almost like a trick that we played on ourselves to start writing new songs. <laughs> I, I was reading the, the, uh, the production notes, and, and Eddie talks about how you know, jamming together and, and improvising really did, you know, spark a lot of creativity with you guys. Is, is, is that something that you had ever done before to do it in that way? Or is this like a totally new approach for you? For me, it's a new approach. Um, it, it's common enough these days, especially when you get teams of writers, like seven, eight, nine people writing a track um, that somebody will create a bed, you know, a beat or a baseline or a music bed. And then somebody else will write a, what do they call it? A top line. And then somebody else will, you know, reprogram the drums and on and on it goes and they all become writers of that track but I, i've always done it you know i sit at the piano play the guitar i've worked with loops before and i've worked with you know accidental things i find on my old garage band or whatever but but this was new yeah and so eddie was Eddie would do all the production i mean i basically had my job was to write a melody write lyrics record that send it back to him and he would create those soundscapes around that occasionally i would have uh, maybe put in a, an extra part or I might actually make an, an, an original loop. Uh, there's a song called Abandoned on the album where mm-hmm. I looped mandolin. It was just like a mandolin intro to a Spadin song. It always just sounded so evocative to me and atmospheric. Um, and I just had to go at that. And, uh, you know, yeah, the, each song had its own kind of genesis, but essentially that is a new way of working for me, sure. 
it, it's kind of cool to hear Eddie being so involved in, in the ideas here and, and, and also to see how he's kind of uh, developed in production. I mean, a couple of years ago, or you re-released True Colors, and he had a lot to do with remixing yeah. that record. And then to have him a part of this project, I, I mean, yeah. it, it says a lot about his, his extraordinary talent. It really does. Um, and, you know, I think he's underrated and undervalued generally. Um, you know, he is to me, like when he, you think he came through the 70s, you know, he joined Smith Ends in 73, and he was one of the first people to start working with synthesizers and band formats and kind of orchestrating the music um, for Smith Ends for many years and, uh, you know, and beyond. So people always talk about, you know, me and Neil, because we were the songwriters, but you know, behind that, there was always really considered and really beautiful, sophisticated, um, you know, orchestration arrangement. And Eddie always had a lot to do with that. So I'm really glad to see him come into the frame now. And, um, you know, he's my he's my co-writer on this project and we hope to do more. And and I have to tell you, Phil Manzanera's guitar work is absolutely stunning. I mean, it's unbelievable how good he sounds in these, some of these songs. I know. It's amazing. And like, we, yeah, we were just sending him files and he'd be sending back files and I mean, you mentioned the song, Chances Are. I mean, the guitar solo on that alone is 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 worthy of attention. It's a beautiful solo. And um, you don't actually hear that many guitar solos anymore. You know? uh, so it's kind of nice to, to bring them back. And they're so melodic and effervescent like that and full of life. You know, there's nothing better. Last year, I did an interview with you, Padgham. And I mentioned Split Ends, you know, in the in the interview. And he thanked me for for mentioning you guys, and and it's it's interesting interesting because you know what he said about about the band and, and in particular you was that there was there was some of the most joyful enjoyable sessions of his entire career, and it, what he said was that you had this knack for building this great creative atmosphere and in a way that that he had never really seen before. I mean, you know, this is a guy that that's worked with you know. Genesis and the police and you know XTC and all these bands but yet it's it's split ends and in particular Tim Finn that he is you know has the you know the warmest feelings and warmest regards for so it was actually a remarkable compliment to you guys that's so lovely to hear thank you for sharing that I mean that means a lot Hugh, Hugh is a great producer a great friend I mean I just think of one song you know as an example would be Dirty Creature Mm. Um, which was on the Tom Tide album. And I had that riff on the piano, that kind of doga 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 that kind of bass line thing, but it was very unformed. And I had a couple of lines of lyrics, but Hugh really, really liked it. And he, he had us work it. And I think we ended up working on that track for about three days, which we had never done before until we were just like playing it in our sleep. You know, it was just going on and on. And finally he said, that's it. And, uh, you know, we came in and checked it out. I said, are you sure? I said, you know, there's a few spots there where it's maybe a little shaky. This was the days when editing, well, you could edit tracks on the, on the multi-track, but it was a much more complex thing. And we didn't do a lot of that. So I was, I was examining it and scrutinizing it bar by bar, almost in my head, you know, and he was more or less saying, let it go, let it go. Just wait, just wait. You'll, you'll, you know, <laughs> and, and he, and he was right because once Eddie put his keyboards, once, you know, once the, the parts began to layer up, that, that keyed me into lyrics. I finished the lyrics, some of the best I think I've written, if I could say that. And, you know, that was all down to Hugh Padgham masterfully producing that song. I, you know, I, I give him full props for that and a lot of other things too. That whole album, Time and Tide, when he, when he says that you are creating a, a, like a really conducive creative, creative atmosphere in a way where other people could not or were not at the, at the time, do you know what he's talking about i mean was there something what were you doing that was different 
Or would, would you even know whether it was different from anybody? Why? How were you able to create that kind of atmosphere? I mean, it's, it's a very great compliment. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm a good collaborator. And, you know, with the band, we were always, we'd always listen to each other all the time. You know, it wasn't like just somebody riding roughshod over the whole thing. And so Hugh was teasing out the best in us. And we were giving each other space to create this track. You know, whereas I guess, you know, I, another uh, person who had written a song might might more or less be telling everyone what to do, you know, and that was that was never the case with with a band. And I've always been like that. Even so on the forensics project, I'm collaborating with Eddie, but also Noel is on there playing drums, percussion. It sounds like the house is falling down. There's just a couple of guys <laughs> doing a bit of work out there. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, and, and Phil Manzanera, as you've said, playing, playing the guitar and it's all just bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, and we can make something great out of this rather than no, 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 that's not what I hear, you know. It's different strokes for different blokes, and you know that's the way I like to work. One of the things that was was sent to me from your uh, your the publicist, they gave me a link to this ten part documentary series that was done on on New Zealand radio, and it's 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 a ten hour long thing. I'm probably four hours into it, but <laughs> what I what I absolutely love about it is you're talking about the early days of of Split Ends, and, yeah. and for you know, for people that that are not really aware of that part of your of your history uh it, you, while the latter half may have been more accessible and may, maybe more traditional those early days yeah. were very very visual and very artistic for some people it was probably a little strange what was the reaction to the band just the the visuals the dress the hair i mean there was a lot going on in those in those first first couple of years it really was i mean Noel crombie uh created those costumes himself you know he basically sewed them together um and then he would give us a haircut he'd be sculpting us and shaping us and we we just loved it because it seemed to work with the music i mean the music was very kind of you know full of changes and abrupt sort of shifts and things were happening and that just seemed to suit you know the whole look as well so we became this one thing you know called split ends and it would take us an hour to get ready to go on stage and by the time we were ready you know it, it was all on and um yeah i mean i think people were were taken aback i mean we had something when we first went to australia we had a little cult following in new zealand initially then we went to australia and there were some people coming up to us saying we've been waiting for this to happen and you know, the very next day would be literally be booed off the stage. <laughs> we were put on at some inappropriate sort of gigs, you know, playing supports to rock bands, pretty hard rock bands, and the cigarette butts were thrown at us, beer cans. I mean, we had everything. We even did this festival once where um, we were put on at eight o'clock on a Saturday night in 1973, and the crowd <laughs> were really drunk and really up for for something, but not us. And and there was quite a bit of booing. <laughs> The MC actually came out, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you have to get off. <laughs> I don't think many, many artists have actually had that experience. <laughs> but, well, it's, what's amazing about it is, I mean, you, you just, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of fixated on the time frame here. You're, you're, you're 1973, 74. A lot yeah. of the, the visuals of like a David Bowie were just being introduced around the world yeah. in, in 1972, 73. Lamb rock was was out there but you guys were like on a on a different plane compared yeah. to like you know t-rex or anything else that might have been out there it was it, it was I, I can see where some people either got it or some people were horrified not by the music but by but by the look i mean it just it had to be it had to be yeah. real jarring for some people 
I mean, we brought it to the States in 1976 and did a tour there. And we were at, at a fairly extreme point in our the theatricality at that point. And, and yeah, it was a love-hate. Some people loved it. And, and I guess some people hated it, but there was no internet, there was no chatter, there was no, you know, nobody was dissing us online. So we, we never really knew, you know, how many people loved us or how many people hated us. But I think we stayed in people's memories. And I, I, what I love about it is that years later, 40 years, whatever we are now later, people will say to me, I remember you playing this show in 1975 or 76, and it was the, one of the best things I've ever seen. And they remember it, you know, and I think we, we tend to think of gigs as being very ephemeral, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, next town, all forgotten, but they're not. And people, people really remember a great show. And I think in a weird way, they have a, a more lasting value than, than, a, than a recording does. You know? I, I know for me, the things that I remember are kind of being introduced to the records. I mean, I remember when I Got You was introduced in the States and it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a decent sized hit. But when I got to college, I was introduced to Time and Tide and Wayata and, you know, conflicting emotions. And I, and I got to really learn those albums a lot, even, even True Colors as well. But I've always felt this about Split Ends. The, the best songs lied beyond your biggest hits. There were, there were songs in those records that, to me, are just, they're remarkable songs um, that a lot of people in America simply just don't, don't know. And, I, and it's, it's too bad because the people that know, know. You know what I'm talking about, the Sandy Allen, uh, you know, uh, you know, missing persons. I mean, you know, all these songs are just they're remarkably well-crafted pop songs that I think need to be rediscovered by some people. Yeah, I mean, the the back catalog um, or the whole catalog of Split Ends is has been neglected over the years. It's been passed around and sold on from one label to the next. I mean, we used to be on Chrysalis in in the UK, and, and now I think we're on some label called Blue Raincoat or something. We have a guy who's sussing the whole thing out for us for the first time in you know, 40 years. So methodically going through, looking at the old contracts, trying to talk to the right people and the labels. And we're gonna try and organize it a lot better in the future. Um, you know, so that, that's a long-term project. It's gonna take a few years probably. And then, you know, who knows, we may do a tour, but I, I, I sort of doubt that now, but at least the recordings will be in a good place, I hope. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's always that. That's the case for any act. You know, there's always tracks that are um, only known to the Konashanti, and you know, they are known for, to those people extremely vividly, as if it was just yesterday. Like they, they you know, and uh, maybe it makes it a bit more special if they if they're not too mainstream. Some of these songs, you know. But one of the things about forensics that's exciting for me is we are going back. You know, if we can stimulate any interest at all in mental notes or second thoughts or even dysrhythmia. Uh, people can, can can listen through to the Forensics album and there's there's not just the original idea that we might have built a new song with, but there might be something in the in the arrangement, like Eddie might play a part on a Celeste or some kind of sound, and it might reference another song entirely, and it might have been just a guitar part that you never really noticed before, rather than the main melody or the main chord sequence. It might just be one little shift, you know, and you'll go, oh, we're bringing the place to life. But yeah, so I'm hoping that people will just listen and let their imaginations run wild, you know? Yeah, and I, and like you said, I think listening to the forensic stuff may prompt you to say, well, you know, what what is it about those songs that, you know, harken back to 1973 or 74? And it, it's, you know, I, I listened pretty intensely to the to the forensic record, but then I also went back to Second Thoughts and, 
and was and followed along in some of the notes. I said, "Oh yeah, okay, now now I see it. Now I hear it. The words are, you know, this little flourish. I, yeah, I yeah. totally, I totally see it." And I thought it was a really cool way of of uh, of approaching it because there are many people that would just simply use a formula to kind of be doing the same thing, and that is not what you guys have done at all. Oh. Can I call you fan number one? You can be you are the number one. This is the kind of thing we have to want. <laughs> Anytime. I can I can be over in 18 hours if you let me. Uh no, I'm really glad to hear you say that. That's lovely. I, I was uh, doing some more research and I was I was looking uh, a little bit at your at your brother's career too. And it didn't occur to me that when he joined Splint Ends, you know, after you know Phil Judd had had left the band and and, and Neil comes in. He was only 19 years old at the time. I didn't realize how young he was. I mean, and 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 to kind of blossom into this great songwriter, and and not necessarily overshadow you, but it just—he was a great songwriter at such a young age. I mean, it, it, I think that's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, actually, when we asked him to join, he was 18, and he, he turned 19, and um, that was 1977, mm -hmm. late 70s early 77 and uh he'd never played electric guitar we were looking for an electric guitarist so it was a very classic split ends thing uh to not actually find an electric guitarist but to find neil and uh you know he 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 was just such a great part of it all i mean he'd watched it from the outside i think he was 13 when he first um you know saw split ends play in auckland and it stayed with him like he just haunted him and and so you know to then become part of the band to get to know noel crombie and you know, all the guys, um, it must, well, it, I know it meant a lot to Neil and he was allowed to grow as a songwriter within that. He wasn't expected straight away, like, okay, where are your songs? It was, it wasn't, it was just, can you play guitar, you know, and, um, and sing his great voice. So we had a great, uh, second singer and then a guitarist who was rapidly learning, um, to play in his own kind of way. And then, um, suddenly the songwriting started to happen. And I think any band, you got to have two, you know, you got to have two songwriters or two people that write songs together and it creates that kind of thing that a band can can grow from. I mean, it's not always the case, but I, I do think the, a lot of the best bands, you got to have that thing. And, and we didn't even realize we had it until it, it kind of developed naturally. You know, we had heard Neil sing. He supported Split Ends when he was 16. So we knew he could write songs because he'd been singing some of them then. But we didn't think about that as, as the uppermost thing. We, we needed a guitar player. So it was never one of these things where your mom or dad says, could you please hire your brother? He's not doing anything. We can't get him off the couch or anything. It was nothing like that. No, it was nothing like that. In fact, <laughs> I, I think, I think uh, my parents, mom anyway, was, was pretty, pretty concerned that he was going to, you know, go, go over to England at the age of 18, 19. But at the same time, she knew he was joining with me. And so I guess that comforted her, you know. I know that uh, in, in a lot of different situations, having a brother, in a band is difficult. It's a different kind of relationship than you would have with some of the other guys, like sort of the Everly brothers or even the, yeah, you know, the Gallagher brothers from Oasis. I mean, it's, it is a, it is a relationship that you have had for the, for your whole life. And maybe there's things that you can get away with or try to get away with as brothers. I've never got the sense between you and Neil that your relationship together was quite that way like there was respect and love and it remained through most of your whole career not just split ends but you know as you recorded together as you know, as the finn brothers or even in crowded house there seems to be uh, a, a much 
healthier relationship? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the, the proof's in the pudding, and you know, we, we're uh, we've, we've released a number of brothers' records which we didn't need to make. I mean, we'd already worked together in Split Ends and in, in Crowded House on the Woodface album, and yet there was something that in us that wanted to work together as the Finn brothers and create, you know, music that way. Um, you know, we're, we were a close family. I mean, he was six years younger than me, so there was really no rivalry. Like, he was so much younger than me that it just wouldn't have entered our heads to be rivalrous. <laughs> um, and, of course, I had to then get used to the idea that he'd grown up and he was, um, you know, a very successful songwriter in his own right. And so you kind of you adjust that relationship a little. But you, you still, nevertheless, you know, I'll always be that much older than him. And, you know, there's little psychological triggers that happen, I guess, for both of us where... There's something about that that's just, you know, integral and ongoing, uh, even though we're both men. And in fact, he now is a grandfather and I haven't even reached that stage myself. So <laughs> it's funny how we're reaching these different phases in our lives kind of out of whack. But um, yeah, I saw him just the other day and we were strumming guitars together. So it felt nice. To play with Noel and to play with Eddie and, and to still have a great relationship with your, your brother and still play music with him. Do you ever talk about the idea of of reforming split ends i mean i i know that you've had you know you've played gigs here and there along along the way but there hasn't been a, a new split ends album in in many many years i mean is there ever been any thought to that or is that kind of like yesterday's work i think so yeah I, there's no plan and um i think we've kind of all got our different projects going you know it'd be hard to sort of squeeze it in. I mean, although it is so much easier now to record with, uh, you know, file sharing. I mean, I've, I've made an album with uh, Phil Manzanera now, the one with Eddie. There's another one with an Irish friend of mine that will probably be coming out later in the year. You know, the, you, it, it's, it's possible to be so much more productive when you, when you don't have to actually book a studio and be in the same, same geog geographical location. And I'm sure there's a lot of content out there, a lot of stuff pouring down the pipeline. Uh, as during lockdowns as well, you know, people sitting at home making albums, there must be more out there now than ever before in history, you know, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but for me, it's been a great thing uh, to be able to be so productive and just to pivot from one project to the next, you know. What challenges do you see in that, though? I mean, there, there are, I mean, I've heard it done, you know, very well, and I've heard it done not so well, you know, where you're file sharing and putting things together, like, you know, a puzzle and putting it out on, on Pro Tools in some way you can hear it. I don't hear it with the for, with the forensic record at all. I mean, it all sounds like you're you're playing together and very very tightly. But I don't know if you feel this way or not. But you know, being together and playing together is still maybe the best way to do it. Or have we gotten beyond that point? I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. Um, I would say yes and no, probably. I would say for some people, for some kinds of projects, you would have to be in the room. And then there are other kinds. And it's how free you let yourself be and how egoless, you know, in, in a way. Um, if, if you send a file to somebody and it comes back sounding really different, are you cool with that? Is that, you know, can you can you take that? If, if people are just playing with ideas in, in virtual space, um, or, you know, or are you somebody who likes more control? I mean, I think it comes back to that collaborative thing that we were talking about, where I'm I'm very into collaboration. I love it when something comes back changed, you know, as long as it's you know, good, which <laughs> it has been. Uh, it really has been. So I'm not sure, actually. Isn't it interesting? I mean, it is, It is. you know, um, it won't be long before robots are writing songs. I mean, they kind of already are. Um, I, don't, I don't think they will ever be as good as you know, human songs. 
but little kids, young kids might get fooled. They might like it just because it sounds modern or novel to them. And that would be sad. In this new way of approaching songwriting, uh, you know, with imp improvisation and jamming, uh, you know, with, with Eddie, do you see yourself doing a lot more of it that way? Or is this just still kind of like a, like a project idea for you? It's, again, it's sort of hard to say. Um, I would like to think so. There were, there were quite a few tracks left over from this that we could finish if we choose. Um, at the same time, I, I like doing um, music theater these days. I've, I've got a new musical opening in Melbourne in June. You know, I'm just hoping that, that, that you know, COVID will allow that to happen and I can go to Melbourne. And because I, I like the rehearsal stage of, of uh, music theater where you, you know, you're on the floor and you're trying things out and you're changing things around and everybody's having a great time if it's going well, which in my case, my, is my brief experience, it's gone really well. Probably because I have, there's a director I like to work with, Simon Phillips, who's a New Zealander, and uh, he co-writes lyrics with me and bounces ideas. It's just very creative. So I want to be in the physical space with those people, but for, for making music, it's actually really suits me at, at the moment. Uh, and maybe if I do end up doing something with Neil again, we'll, I think inevitably we'll want to be in the room, you know. I was reading some of the uh, the notes uh, of the new album, uh, Shades and Echoes, that your your kids are singing with you on uh, on at least one of these tracks. That has to be yeah. so cool to have your kids you know, with you on that. It really is. I mean, you know, our son Harper, our daughter Elliot, and Harper is now the, you know launching it into it himself as a songwriter. Um, so yeah, just Neil seen it with his two boys. I mean, just in the families, you know, it's. It, <laughs> doesn't get more pleasurable than that yeah both of my parents are therapists so the idea of going to you know, to go and work with the, the with mom and dad that never happened and probably, <laughs> probably for the best tim i gotta tell you i i uh I, i'm so pleased to talk to you because I've, i i really truly have been a fan since 1980 and uh, yeah i know you i'm your number one fan and i don't mean this in a stalkerish way but it's great to hear your your voice again your music again i think the forensic record is just wonderful and like i said chances are i think is maybe the best song i've heard in a long long time it's just it's in my head and it, it's unshakable so thank you for that thank you i really love to hear that obviously i'll pass that on to eddie you please do please do i will yeah tim it's a it's a real pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for uh for for, for sticking it out just despite all the uh the problems with the technology tonight so thank you i know i'm, I'm really glad we got there i've enjoyed it great thank you tim thank you the name of the new Forensics album with Tim Finn is called Shades and Echoes, and it's now available wherever you find music. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Today's podcast brought to you by Canna Provisions in Holyoke and Lee, Massachusetts. Check them out at cannaprovisions.com. I hope you liked the show. If you did, feel free to share it, like it, review it, tell all your friends. You can reach me at baxatrock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.